This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! This is That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. And my name is Kara. And you guys know what's up. We talk about an episode of SVU, a true crime it was based on. And we interview a cool guest. And first we catch up. And boy, do I have a lot to tell you. Oh my God, Kara. (laughs) I just cannot believe that this happened to you. I have been in the midst of a 36-hour travel nightmare. Uh, My husband and I got booked to go out to do a Valentine's Day show together in in, in a little in a little town that's outside of Aspen, Colorado. Well, I feel like responsible because I was with you when the offer came in, I feel. And you were like, should I go? And I was like, go to Aspen. Yeah. It's Valentine's. <laughs> no, Have you're not. Fun. No. And then when you and I went to the Christmas party where we saw Megan Trainer, our friend Esther was there and she said, oh, I did that show. It was amazing. You got to do it. Every All signs pointed to this is going to be great. I sprung for the extra money to fly directly into Aspen because it's a three and a half hour drive from Denver and I didn't want to deal with that. So I was like, let's just go in and out. Not thinking, oh yeah, Aspen's known for heavy snowfall and I'm going in February and there's only one flight in and one flight out a day on Delta. So getting there, we had to divert to Denver. So we have to rent a car and then white knuckle it through snow in three hours of drive. I will say I shaved a half an hour off of our time because I'm crazy. Um, But I got us there. Was Jared scared? Yes, he was so terrified the whole time. Not because I was driving fast, but we were in this oh. big SUV and it just didn't have snow tires on it. And so every time we would go to stop, it would like 
it would like seize up a little bit and you have to like tap your brakes. And I'm like from New England. I know how to drive in the snow. And Jared knows how to drive in the snow too because he's from West Virginia, but he acts like he gets so traumatized every time we have to drive in the snow. So it was fine. I did at one point fully sail through an intersection because the the brakes just would not stop. Like they just, this was when we were getting very close to the destination and the brakes just were like, we're not here for it. They were not, like they were not in attendance. So... Luckily, there was only one person at the intersection and they saw what was happening and just let us go. But so we get there. The show is supposed to start at 8. We get there at 8.25. The audience is wasted drunk because they've been like waiting for us and they've just been like, hey, everybody have another drink or whatever. So... I have How many people set. are there? What like kind of 200 venue is people. this? It's like an art center, like a performing arts center. It's like 200 people. Um, I would say the crowd is very mixed. There's like some young people, a lot of like older people. Because it's like, it's not Aspen. Like the guy that was like telling us, he goes... The place is called Basalt. And I remember now how to say it because they said Lori Kilmartin goes, it sounds like assault. And I love that. And so uh, they were like, the median home in Aspen is 17 million. The median home in Basalt, which is 20 minutes away, 20 minutes away is 1.8 million. So that like, if it gives you an idea of like, they're wealthy, but they're not Aspen wealthy, the people. So we get there on time. Like they had some food for us. We like shovel some food in our mouths. We change our clothes. We get on stage. The show goes great. And then we go back to our hotel and we wake up so the more in the morning to a canceled flight. So we're like, fuck, we just drive to Denver. We wait to get on this 7:30 flight. And it they get us, it, it gets delayed, delayed, delayed. Finally, we're on the flight at like 9.45. We're all sitting there on the flight. We all get text messages that the flight is delayed another hour and 10 minutes from Delta. No one on the flight is telling us anything. And there's this super aggro white man that's uh, like a row away from me. And he gets his text a little bit later than everyone else and goes, what the fuck? fuck, like screams so loud. And I'm like, why are you, you're so behind the rest of us. We all got this text already and have already chatted about it. And he was so angry the whole time, loud outbursts. Like, can you tell us what's going on? Like screaming. And then finally at like, after an hour and 15 minutes, what happened was the pilot was not allowed to fly anymore. Because of delays, like the pilot had been on the clock for too long. And because of like legal shit, the pilot was just not allowed to keep flying. So they were trying to find another pilot, trying to find another pilot, no cigar. And then they unloaded us all from the plane. And I was like, okay, can we get on the 6 a.m.? Meanwhile, I have my two kids back in LA. I'm <laughs> shuffling babysitters. Lisa's at my house watching the kids. Like, it's like nuts. Like, and so we slept at the airport on a bench. And I will say a pr pretty comfortable bench, but uh, 12 o'clock midnight is when they do all their best construction work at the airport. So full drilling, blasting, alarms going off like the entire five, four or five hours we were trying to sleep at the airport. <laughs> but then we get up at six, at six, at 5 a.m. We're up at the front and I'm like, we're the first standbys. And I'm like, is, is there any chance that standbys are going to get on? And the lady's like, absolutely not. This is a full flight. Standbys are not going to get on. And I'm like, okay, so I guess we're waiting here until 10 o'clock, you know, like just the nightmare continues. And then our our names just came up on seat assignments, which I, you know, I make fun of Lisa for playing the, playing the Delta cult game, but it does help that I have status on Delta, I have to say. Like, I think that's how we got on. It seems like a nightmare, but you're going to write the email on the website yes. and they will... Yes, oh, I've drafted it. I think it. they're going to reward you. I think they're going <clears> to... <throat> 
I think they're going to come through. Yeah. Because they're also going to see how much you've been flying. And I think they're going to be like, let's let's make this bitch happy. Yeah, yeah. And make sure so, you add about the construction, you know, add everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, well, add the whole the time snow. I was like, the whole time I go, I got to consult Lisa on how to get the most like reparations <laughs> for this. Because Lisa knows if Lisa's like overhead light isn't working, she gets 10,000 miles. Like I am always like. <laughs> and no. then if the email doesn't do what you want it to do, then you can call. But those email people, I feel are good. Okay, good, good. Because they sent me, the guy goes, I was texting with this representative and he was like, can I offer you cash or miles? And I go, yes. And he goes, well, which one? And I go, well, I don't know. This has cost me a lot of time and money. Like, here's the money I spent and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, all right, fill out this form. And he sent me the link to the email. Form. Yeah, because they should also pay you for, well, you didn't get a hotel, but any snacks that you bought. Mm. Like any, the gas and the rental car. Like yeah. anything that you spent money on because of delays or reroutes and... Maybe you can even push getting compensated for your missed show, you know, yeah. like, you know, or they had to do this or they the venue had to take out from our Well, money the venue or, said that they did get a few cancellations or people asking for refunds when they um, pushed, but I don't think that many because it was pretty full, the place, but... Um, oh, and I forgot to say that the aggro man, when we were all getting off, he was like right behind us and... I was like, just go. Cause I could tell how angry he was. I was like, just go. And he was like, he could see we were like trying to get our suitcase. So then he puts down his suitcase and tries to get our suitcase out for us. Like suddenly aggro man's being nice, but he slams himself in the face with our suitcase. And I'm just like, and I could just see him seething. And I'm like, I told you to go. Like, I did not ask for your help. Like I asked you to leave. Like, And then I saw him this morning on the 6 a.m. Calm and collected watching Curb in first class. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I, I was recently at an airport and um, get going into TSA, like going into security, and the guy behind me was just like, again, the energy of just like, I'm like, are you in a rush, sir? You go ahead. You know, it's it's yeah. also for a six a.m. flight, so I was like, what are you zip? And guess what? We were in pre-check together, we were in the lounge together, and we were on the same flight together. Yeah. And it's like, so what were you rushing for, sir? To the egg cups? You yeah. You to get to the egg cups fast? Because <laughs> even the scrambled eggs weren't ready yet. Like, what was he rushing for? That's what Jared and I always say when you see aggro guys in, like, trucks um, weaving in traffic. It's like, where are you going? You're not getting ahead of us. Like, we're all going, we're all in the same traffic flow right now. Also, if you want to zip and zap in between cars, get a, get a small vehicle. Why yeah. are you doing that in a truck? But anyways, yeah, like, the, the wild of it all is your children are in L.A. Yes, yes. So my <laughs> children like are in L.A. So the whole wild. time. I have a, like... I have a, like, super amazing babysitter who I have entrusted them with. I love her. And she, so she just came over. And she loves the kids. Yeah, and she she loves my kids and she's so nice. Like, I was just asking her, like, so will you just, like, think about it and tell me how much I owe you? And she's like, I can't even think of a number. And I was like, oh, my God, okay. So I'm, like, obviously coming up with it myself. But, like, because she's like, I would have just done this for you anyway. And I'm like, what? Like, no, you're, like, a young person. You have rent to pay. You can't just be watching my kids. Like, so... She was telling me that I know, that but we you... talked about it that from you, she has now so many jobs. So that even is though, like, you obviously you're going to compensate her for this time, but her wanting to do something, 
like, oh, I would have your back makes sense. She also said she would help me plan Rosie's birthday party as like a gift. And I was like, that's perfect. Like, yeah. I want that. <laughs> that I'll take for free. Like, um, but she was Wait, what did me, she say about me? She said that you were like, Kara's not going to want to tour anymore. This is going to, this is going to like um, traumatize her from traveling. <laughs> not with me. I just said, I don't think they're going away for Valentine's Day ever again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, this is gonna, like, not I can't imagine fucking, that. Not to a snowy destination. Like, I just, like, I've always loved going to Denver and Colorado, and now I'm like, fuck you, Colorado. I mean, don't come for me, Denver people. We're obviously gonna come back. I love it there. But when you're trapped at the Denver airport for, like, hours and sleeping there during construction, you do start to, like, hate it. But... Did you just keep imagining if I was there and who I would be yelling at about the construction? Because <laughs> I would be... So no, what I was stressed about, what I told uh, the babysitter, do we say her name? She listens to the yeah. pod. What's up, girl? <laughs> I was saying, you know, I, I have um, a long history in childcare. So when I first received the text that you were not going to be back, I was, at first I was like, I could do it. And then the reality started to set in of like, Wake and I truly did start to panic. Like, I don't think I have that skill anymore, or the gift, or the patience, or anything inside of me that would allow well, that. You were perfect. And I would obviously do it. And if Miranda wanted to come back at 5 a.m., I would have slept. But like, the reality of the morning and getting, because I knew you wouldn't want me to drive them to school. But like, well, I, I was panicking. I, I was wouldn't panicking. like not trust your driving. I just feel like the whole morning with them is so hectic and quick, crazy. And they wake up at seven and we got to be out the door at eight. So it's like really crazy. So I, to Miranda, I was like, the good thing about Lisa is she'll stay up as late as we need her to. But I don't think that yeah. the morning is in her skill set. You know, like I yeah. don't think it's going to happen. So I really appreciated my little village of people coming together to help me though. I really did. And you were a part of that. So thank and you. And like I said, I I would have stepped up to it, but I think in my head I had, it's kind of like when you think about your high school accomplishments or physical fit, or like, I ran a 10K. It's like, yeah, you were 23. Like, no one's <laughs> impressed with that. And that's how I feel my child's care abilities are. Like, all of a sudden I was like, I don't oh, think I can do this. Yeah. I don't think I could do this. I don't think I can like get them ready for school right now. Like, well, and the thing is, is like when they're five and seven, you probably can. They're yeah. just still like, Oscar's still like a baby. Like they're just, they need a lot. And like, I would absolutely have you go pick them up at school when they were like older and they're like, Lisa, this is actually what I eat. And they can like explain themselves, but they're not there yet. Well, also I saw a cute thing online where it was like, um, someone being like, you know, my goddaughter's mom, like, hates sushi. But when the kid wants sushi, like, I take them for sushi. Mm. And so it's like, like, I'll probably take my niece to get a tattoo, you know? So, like, I yeah. like to find the things that I would do with the children all around. You'll probably but... take Rosie to get a tattoo, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> if oh she want. I mean, God. that's so far in the future. Like, who knows what we'll... <laughs> we might all have to have mandatory tattoos. <laughs> that was a grim joke. <laughs> Um, that was a grim, upsetting well, reality listen, we live in. Listen. I'm glad you made it and we're recording. I mean, you what? when did you get home? Two hours ago? No, I got home an hour ago. Oh, my God. So I am, I'm glad that we're not seeing me right now because my eyes are like fully closed. But Lisa and I are both wearing That's Messed Up Purple Sweatshirts, which are available on the merch store. Go to the link They're in cute. our bio for our merch. They're so comfortable. They're I great love traveling sweatshirt. in this sweatshirt. I love the color. I love the, the feel. It's great. But if you could see us right now. We're both twins. But I've also been rocking our fanny pack and I'm obsessed with it. But at my new favorite addiction, the strip club, my fan the fanny pack was on the counter. And 
the while the girl was like collecting her money, she's like, "Oh, what's this?" And I and then I had to be like, "It's my podcast." And I flipped it over. She goes, "You should be proud of it." And I was like, "This is humiliating." Because you're not supposed to wear, like, the merch of a band you're going to go see. But, like, what are the rules? Because I feel like Bethany What are the Frankel, rules of your own podcast? Yeah. Well, because with Skinny Girl, she drove a fucking Volkswagen that had a Skinny Girl rap on it. Like, she was not so... In my head, I'm like, okay, I'm not Bethany. Right. But, like, I but am wearing my own merch. Yeah, often. we can rep ourselves a little bit, I think. No, we like the merch. Yeah. But- yeah. I, I honestly wouldn't wear it if I didn't like it. But... Speaking of travel, Lisa and I, tonight, this episode comes out on on February 21st. Tonight, we are in Portland. Come and see us. We will be at Helium Comedy Club in Portland. If you're in Portland and you haven't gotten tickets yet, there are still some left. Come see us. And then tomorrow, the 22nd, we're going to be in Tacoma, Washington. That's not that far from Seattle. Seattle, get your little butts to Tacoma and come see us. And um, yeah, that's exciting. And then on the 20th? 3rd of February, I'm doing stand-up at the Crocodile in Seattle. Yes. First show sold out. We added a second show. So there might be tickets um, available to that one. It'll be later in the evening. That's exciting. And that's the room we did one of our very first live shows at. So that's a fun... Yeah, and I'm excited to see our girl Morgan again. She was our talent yes. coordinator in the back. She I'm was great. She was great. To see her. And then um, we're going to Moon Tower in Austin. And I'm really excited. Yeah. And we'll let I'm you guys know. I'm already texting. It's going to be, I don't know. Do they, do, is that festival you buy tickets for the shows or can you get passes? Because it I seems think it's like passes. It's, it's going to be killer. It's yeah. like really fun. It's a big ass group of comedians that are coming in there. I would say but like I like 80%. Get, yeah, I think you get passes, but I think you can also buy oh, specific to our podcast. But people have been sure. asking, we are going to be at Moon Tower from the 19th to like the 23rd. We don't know exactly when our um, show is yet because they haven't released the specific schedule, but it's sometime in those um, days and we will obviously keep you posted on the pod and, and on our socials. We're trying to do goddamn comedy jam. So yes. we will be singing. <laughs> If that's not enough to bring you to Austin, Texas, I don't know what is. Me and Lisa's voices. And I don't have shingles, okay? Ah. The bitch was wrong. I do not have shingles. We don't know what it is. They took like an incision. Like they took the one of the pieces and we'll find out. I have little stitches. But um, I got a new cream and they're going away. I kind of knew it. Like, it didn't no, make everyone, sense. everyone is doing this bullshit. I told my mom, she goes, me and your dad were talking and we didn't think about it because it's supposed to be this. And I go, oh, now the parade is coming of everyone who knew I didn't have shingles well, as no I'm one, downing well, no one wants pills. to say, like, I think your doctor's wrong. We're not doctors. It just it wasn't a doctor. Right. It was urgent care. I, of course. And then Julia, too, she goes, you know, her, her sister's a doctor, too. She goes, yeah, Mim was saying, like, it doesn't sound it, but blah, 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 blah. I'm like, now you tell me? Like, now a warning? <laughs> so everyone now in my life warning? <laughs> knew I didn't have shingles, did not say a word to me. But I go, thank God, because I'm stressed too much, and I can't have a stress-inducing thing for life. Like, I'm very... Happy I do not have it. Curious to find out what these are, though. Stay tuned. We will keep you updated on Lisa's dermatological journey. But I feel like a real housewife who's lying about her diseases. I'm just like, I told everyone I had shingles, and I'm totally shingle-free. And I show up with a receipt, and I'm like, actually, this is what a shingle scam looks like, and that's not what you were... Like, I'm the full... uh, Megan King Edmonds of it all. Anyway. <laughs> well, I do. I also only go to women doctors. I try to, but it was urgent. I had to go to who would see me. Had a great time with this guy. I honestly, he might have changed my mind about uh, seeing male doctors. 
Your your derm or the urgent care? Well, my guy? derm was busy. My derm was busy. Yeah. Like, but they got me into whoever it was. He seems young because he was asking the great. nurse. Oh, so you're not. I thought you were saying the urgent care guy was a great guy and then he ended up being bad. But no, no, I went guy, to a woman. No, yes. I went to Cedar Sinai where the celebrities give birth. And That's where and, I gave birth. And care, yeah. <laughs> but this guy, he was just like young and I was like, I want to see what your life is. I don't know. I was into Dr. Cohen. I really like his liked whole him. vibe. Um, all right, we have to get started. Casey flew the flag like hours ago. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for more fun. All right, so we're doing the Undiscovered Country, season 19, episode 13. Was this a highly requested one by our sicko listeners or? No, <laughs> we had this on our list because of a guest we were going to get for it. And then we ended up getting a different guest who's awesome. But, you know, I understand it's a very heavy one, but it's also like really like they were trying to get Barbara and Emmy in this one for sure. Oh, you think this was an Emmy push? Uh, it feels like it to me. I mean, like this was a wild episode for him, but... Yeah, it's yeah. Barba's last one, so... We're going to do our best to, to make it. this one light and fun on your commute, guys. But there's no rape. it's tough. There's no rape. Yeah, it so is really... It's one, of the, it's one of the philosophical episodes they do, I feel like, about morality and, like, what's right. But there is a true story. And do you know the undiscovered country? I actually had to Google it because I was like, why is it called that? It's part of um, Hamlet's soliloquy about um, to be or not to be. And I think the undiscovered country is death. Like, we fear it. We don't know it. You know, the undiscovered country is death. Wow. We're, like, yeah. going deep into Shakespeare. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you looked that up because I don't care. Once I see a bunch of letters, I'm like, oh, Warren Light on his bullshit. Like, I don't even... I know. I know. But I was, like, I was just thinking, I was like, what does this have to do with, like, a baby or, like, you know... So I, I looked it up and, um, yeah, I was actually disappointed in myself for, like, not... I guess I didn't really study Hamlet that hard in school, but... I did, but like, what am I going to remember this <laughs> for 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 decades? It is like a very poetic way to think about the afterlife, the undiscovered country. Like, where are we going? Well, it's very um, Jennifer Coolidge season one, White Lotus, where she goes. <laughs> That's the one frontier um, that yes. she had not seen. the one experience. Yeah. All right, so we're going to start um, at a funeral. Okay, right yeah. up top. Perfect. And we have <laughs> they're getting you down with the sadness immediately. Um, Law and Order Mothership OG icon Sam Watterson. Um, he's giving a eulogy. And there's some casket flowers, and they're fine, but nobody did casket flowers like Samantha Jones and just like that. Those were the best cascading. The ghost white. of Samantha Jones, yes. <laughs> Not Christmas carnation. So whoever's in that box, no style, no class. Um, he's talking about being in his first trial, Sam Watterson, an opposing counsel sabotaged his case on purpose by including an uh, inculpatory document in with his discovery request, and he didn't know what to do, so he went to Mr. Stone's office to ask for advice, and he started saying, like, I can ignore the document, or, and before he could finish his sentence, Ben Stone is like, you know, throws a quote, a lot of lessons from this guy, and he says, a man shouldn't do what he can. He should do what he must without regard for consequence or repercussion. That's what makes us moral. Okay, flowery, beautiful language. Yeah. Um, and if you want to see the opposite of a good eulogy speech, I would say watch the episode Responsible of SVU. <laughs> Some really funny People speeches. People said we looked alike. I like that. 
He asks if anyone else wishes to speak and they show a man um, who, you know, we know as Peter Stone, um, who becomes, you know, a wood board of a character for 26 episodes. But this is his first episode. And I'm sure viewers watching this live were like, who is this man? Like, what's what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, but it's Peter Stone, Ben's son. Ben is dead. He's in the casket. But, but do you remember Ben Stone? I actually have just put it together on the rewatch of this episode because... Ben Stone was on original Law and Order for like four seasons, like many seasons. Like I remember him pretty well. No, I didn't well, watch I, it. I, I I forgot. I did not connect until this episode. I knew he was like related to another like DA, but I didn't put it together that it was this man. Um, but who is, yeah, I've never watched the original, and Sam Watterson did take me on a journey where I was like, oh, I like him. I should watch. Wait, I'm gonna watch. No, he's annoying. Oh no, I love him. <laughs> and so I don't know if I'm going to get into it or not. I'm yeah. not sure yet. Yeah. Um, nobody else wants to speak. And so we cut immediately to a different scene out of the funeral. We're at the apartment of Aaron and Maggie Householder. A blonde, short, bobbed woman walks in and was like, Sandy, Sandy, I want to show you a dress I bought. But no one's answering. And then, uh-oh, the crib is empty. Now we hear Sandy kicking and whimpering. She's sobbing and duct taped, mouth shut, tied hands in a closet. And, um, you know, her hair is messy. And now she's talking to Rollins. So she lives down the hall and babysits whenever Maggie needs her to. And she was like, I can't believe Aaron would do this. So we know who did it. So she knows who it is. The name is Aaron. What did he say? He said that he would kill her if she screamed and pointed a gun at her. I don't know why I left. Okay, so <laughs> she asks if they're going to find Drew. That's the baby. Rollins is like, it was a typical Tuesday. Mom went to get her nails done and shopping or whatever. And the dad comes home early, shuts the sitter in the closet and runs off with the 10-month-old baby. The mom is yelling and Benson and Creasy with the usual, go find my son and stop wasting time. And Benson's trying to like calm her down. The mom is like, no offense, but you know nothing about my son. It's only a matter of time before he cannot breathe without that thing. We need to find him soon. He's going to die, Lieutenant. And I love that she calls her Lieutenant. Like, yes, she's like, I'm, she's like yelling at her, but respect with the title. And yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the thing is, um, you know, th there's a plastic breathing tube contraption attached to the bed. Um, and so that is the credits. So now we're in the precincts. We're in the nice room with the wooden blinds as Blondie is explaining about her son. Um, so Drew, when he was two months old, Aaron noticed he couldn't breathe. And it's called mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome. It's a genetic thing. She says that. Um, it causes muscle weakness and it gets worse and worse. And she spends more time at Mercy Hospital than she does at home. Benson asks if they were having any issues. And she's like, not that I knew of. Uh, but Benson has to keep asking the tough question. Um, she first relates uh, about like how her son was taken and returned safely. And that's, of course, when Brooke Shields, a.k.a. Grandma Sheila Porter, kidnaps Noah. So now there's a knock at the door and it's Finn. And he reports that the neighbors saw that Aaron was getting into a blue Toyota around 1230. Um, but Maggie's like, we don't have a car. So now the whole squad is making calls and trying to find them. Benson runs out asking if they got anything. And Finn says that he did return a rental car at Sheepshead Bay about an hour ago. He hasn't checked into any hotels or motels. But two weeks ago, he charged about $6,000 to a medical supply company. 
Um, and he rented the car only two days ago. So like, where was he holding this equipment? You can't just like run the streets with six grand worth of medical equipment. <laughs> so, um, you know, they read the address on the top of the line machine and they run. So um, it's January 31st. It's chilly. It's cold. So Rollins and Creasy are at the top of the line machine, um, which is like the medical supply store. And that leads to an address. Um, and so now we have a ton of cars. It's a hostage situation. And um, Aaron's inside. You know, there's some phone chats. Benson's going to take over. Um, Rollins is giving it a college try, but hands over the phone very fast. And Benson's like, call me Olivia. So, um, and tells him, you know, I've been talking to Maggie and he's like, how's she doing? And Benson's like, I got to be honest with you, Aaron. Not great. He says, I didn't (laughs) want... Not well, bitch. Not well. (laughs) Yeah. He says, I didn't want to hurt her, but Benson is like, you took her baby. And he says, he just wanted to be alone with his son. And Benson's like, honey, that's what I want too. But (laughs) we can't just like take a baby. And um, someone has uh, got a shot and Benson, of course, screams like, stand down, don't take it. Um, And she gets an invite inside despite everyone going, don't do it. He's got a gun. And she's like, I'm going to do it. Um, He says no weapons. So she slowly starts doing like a strip tease, but only like taking out weapons from her coat. (laughs) Um, And then she takes off her little gloves. And it's like, I don't know what Aaron thought was going to be in the gloves. <laughs> I don't know. Why did she have to take off her gloves? I I, I don't get to it. To show her hands symbolically? I don't know. Great question. And Finn's like, what the fuck are you doing? Don't go in there. And it's like, Finn, you've known this woman for decades. Can you just please? She's going in. Yeah. So he has a big ass gun as Benson enters the house and he says, you don't look like a cop. And so I think that means I'd like to fuck you. And yeah. So she, of course, takes it as a compliment and she has to see Drew and he slowly lets her look at him. She touches him and says he's beautiful. She has to sit down. Her bangs look very good and then they both sit down. He still has his big ass gun. He asks um, for her son's name. She says, my son's Noah, age five. He says, I bet he loves baseball. And it's like, what a wild assumption to make. He could also (laughs) just like trucks. Like there's just so many things five-year-olds like. Or skeletons like my daughter. She's still into the skeleton game? Yeah. She has a t-shirt of skeletons dabbing. She wears it to school. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, I bet he loves baseball. I bet his dad and him go to the park and play catch. I mean, so many assumptions with this. He stands up and says, Drew's going to love baseball and we're going to go to Yankee Stadium. And then he breaks down. He's like, why us? It's a one in a 10 million chance. What did we do wrong? And then he says he's done nothing wrong. And Benson's like, ah, you kept him from his mother. So it is wrong. And he says she doesn't want him. And Benson's like, I just talked to her. She wants him very much. And she gets up and starts walking closer to him. And he's like, what are you doing? Stay where you are. I said, stop. And Benson's not scared. And she's like, I'm a cop. I know you're not a killer and I know that's a paintball gun. So we're done. Such a good twist because I didn't know. <laughs> I did not know at all. Um, and I'm sure the babysitter didn't know. Um, Daddy starts to cry really intense and he says, you don't know what you're doing. She wants to kill Drew. And he cries. And she says, come on. And they walk out. And we're back from the fade to the black um, room. And the mom has to defend herself now. And she's like, not in the wooden blinds room anymore. She's in the fenced room. So... They've changed their minds about her. And she seems annoyed. She even has to explain herself. And she's like, listen, it's not like I was going to hold a pillow over his mouth. The doctors have humane ways to end his suffering. We were waiting for the court order. And Rollins screams, to kill your son? Judgy. Okay, don't you have something to bet on, Rollins? So then the mom says... <laughs> um, 
It's to end his suffering. And Rollins is like, you don't think it was important to tell us any of this? And Barbara's lurking in the back, listening um, in the corner to all of this. The mom answers she wanted to find them. Rollins is pissed and pushes up from the desk and she's just like over this bitch. So Barbara comes to help her understand their point of view. And she's like, you think I'm a terrible person? And he's like, bitch, I don't know you. And she's like, what kind of mother would want her son to die? And Barbara sits down and says, why don't you tell me? And she begins a monologue that every day he lives... um, his pain gets worse. There's nothing they can do. And they, you know, they just can't watch him suffer. That's all they do. Um, And she says, it's killing us. And she's like, you're a lawyer. The law should protect us. And he's like, well, the law is also supposed to protect Drew. And she says, but it's hurting him. And another room is um, the dad with Benson. And he's saying that the law wants him dead. And Benson's like, nah, dog, no one wants him dead. And he goes, well, Maggie wants him dead. And the doctors do too. And the judge is going to order us to pull the plug. And this actor is crushing it. Crying, wiping snot on his arm. He's really doing the whole cannoli. Mm -hmm. So he calls her lieutenant as well. Like, they're just, like, very into structures. I wonder what it is with this family that they knew she was a lieutenant and are committed to calling her that. Or maybe it's, like, the show just trying to establish more that she's a lieutenant now. But I've never noticed this. Yeah. Because also, when they met in the hostage situation, she's like, call me Olivia. So it's just like, yeah, we should watch the episodes around this and see if other perps do it. Or is this trying to prove that they're like good people that respect women? Like, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. No one yeah. has ever done this. So he asks, even her coworkers don't do it. So he asks if there is a law that exists that entitles Drew to life. And it cuts to Maggie crying and saying, it would be so easy if we, and she can't finish the sentence, slams the table and takes a few breaths in. She then says she filed a motion in the court to allow her to, and again, she can't finish the sentence. Aaron opposed it, but he agreed to do whatever the judge said. Barbara responds that Aaron seems to have changed his mind and it cuts back to him. Um, and he's like, well, what if they discover something? And then it's back to the mom being like, I'm not a horrible person. If this wasn't the only thing to do, his doctors say there's no brain activity. He's just a lump of flesh, my beautiful lump of flesh. He should get the peace we all deserve. He can't see, he can't hear, he's all but dead already. And the dad is like, you saw him, you can't tell me that he's nothing. Both parents are crying, loving and passionate, but both have different conclusions. But... Benson and him clasp hands as he cries. And we cut to um, outside the room and we have Carisi spying in one room and in the other. And they're both like, phew, glad we're not the judge on this case. Carisi's like, maybe I'll stay a cop. Um, But we know he doesn't. And he does become a lawyer. The others exit (laughs) and there's a hallway meeting under the fluorescent lights. And Benson's mad. Like, what the fuck, man? They should not. Like, he should not have to go to prison. And Creasy says, the law says yes. And Finn says, sometimes the law sucks. He's like a teen kid this episode. Yeah. Barbara says, okay, him at the Grammys was incredible. Ice? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. He is cool. And then he, did you see he posted a video of some guy checking out Coco? Checking out Coco. I've seen it so many times. I don't know why it keeps (laughs) popping into my feed. Because it's the best. Her body is crazy. Like, she is like a cartoon sex body come to life. But yeah, but he was saying how, like, the guy looked at him and then Coco confused. But it's like, no one's confused iced tea or iced tea. (laughs) Like, that man wasn't like, who's that guy? Like, even if you don't know iced tea, you know iced tea. I mean, you might call him Ice Cube. Let's be real. That happens more often than I really ever anticipated. 
A lot of listeners, a lot of you guys send us messages that are about Ice Cube and not Ice tea. <laughs> really? Even the listeners? We've gotten a handful, a, a healthy handful. Speaking of, if you're listening to us, maybe follow us on Instagram. Yeah. Maybe. No no pressure, but we do repost Ice tea stuff. <laughs> That's messed up pod. We put up a lot of fun SVU content. Yeah. Um, so Barbara says, listen, I concur. You know, um, the law does suck. Barbara's very affected and then quotes his father about being dead. Um, how it's not scary. Like being dead is not scary, but dying is scary. And, you know, um, the mom wants to talk to the dad. They allow it. They go into one room together as the squad watches. She enters the room as the door closes behind her. He gasps and stands up. He says, I just couldn't. And she says, I know. And they hug and they start to cry into each other. And I do think they really love each other. I wonder if their marriage will last after this case. So they cry and cry. Barbara says, Christ. So Benson that's, then says, nobody is forcing you to prosecute. And Barbara's like, okay, well, if I don't, that's telling the world that baby Drew has no rights. And Rollins quickly changes her boat as she says, well, what about his right to die? Um, and Carisi says, unfortunately, that's not in the Constitution. And he learned that at Fordham Law. <laughs> Barbara's like, let's find out if daddy's excursion caused the baby any harm. And Benson asks, so you can let him go with a clear conscience? And Barbara's very down and responds, so I can prosecute and get some sleep for the next decade or so. And he walks off. And Well, because um, here's the question. If you're... If okay, so he would get prosecuted maybe for like um assaulting the babysitter, right? Like duct taping her and like, you know, but it is his own child and he used a paintball gun, which is not a deadly weapon. So I wonder like what the charges would be. Well, no, it's a custody thing. You can't take the baby from the mom. It's like a you stole it. But he just took the baby to one location in an, in uh, in another part of the city. I don't think that that could like be con like otherwise. Like if I took Rosie to like San Diego without telling Jared, that's I don't think that's really kidnapping. But maybe unless it is? he got caught, I mean, of course it is. She explains it up top. If you take a kid and your other parent can't get a hold of that kid, that's kidnapping. Okay. But it's familial the a hold. or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering. Yeah, I was just wondering like the charges and everything because it is his child that he has the right to transport. No, yeah. he does not. Be not without both parents because for chasing Theo, actually the crime connects to this. That's why suddenly I'm a professional in custody. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in that episode, the mom like takes the kid to a different country and is like, peace, I'm not coming back. You can't do that. Sure, sure. But it's like, this is just another borough in the city that they live For in. Now. So I was just, yeah, right, right, right. But that's as far as he got. So I'm just, that's as far as he got. So I'm just wondering like what the actual charges would be. That's all. I'm yeah. sure he's going to get something. I mean, he also tied up a babysitter. Like she should press charges. Well, like, also we're up. thinking about this difference. Not if you did. If Jared just decided to take your children to San Diego and did not tell you, you would call 911 and he would be arrested. Yeah, that's true. But now they seem like they love each other. So I don't know if she would press that charge is what I'm... I'm just thinking through it. Yeah, I'm on his side. I, You know, <laughs> I, I am. I wonder what the babysitter, the trauma he did cause her. Yeah. I didn't even think about that because the whole time I'm like, yeah, let the guy go. Yeah, but yeah. You're right. That babysitter stuff. And it was like premeditated. It wasn't like, yeah. oh, we're going to the Jersey Shore today. Um, so whatever. So then Barbara, you know, he's just like, oh, I got to sleep for a decade or so. And I would be worried about a friend if they said something like that. I would be like, um, I'm going to go with you. 
Um, I would not let him just scurry off. That's <laughs> dangerous language. So Peter Stone, who, who we know now, but the audience has no idea who this man is. Like, I'm sure when the sh- air, this aired, everyone's like, who is this man they keep panning to? We do not care about him. But he approaches Sam Watterson um, and Sam's eating on a bench um, in the courtroom because he said that his first wife made him promise to never eat at his desk. And um, so they sit down. He has a baseball cap on. And he thanks him for the kind words about his father. And Sam goes, well, it was all true. So um, he gives him a brown paper bag and says, eat it. And he tries to deny it. And Sam's like, hey, this is still my jurisdiction. People do what I say or they pay the price. So he has, you know, he has jokes. And then he's (laughs) like, it's odd that none of your dad's family members spoke. And he's like, well, it's honestly just me. And um, so then Sam says something in Latin or whatever. And I refuse to look it up. Um, And the captions didn't give a translation. So I'm sure it's not that important. But Peter does respond. On. They didn't speak much when he was alive. So what good would it do now? And Sam is like, must have it must have been hard growing up with a man like Saint Ben. And while eating what looks like a hot dog, did <laughs> Sam Watterson bring hot dogs from home in a brown paper bag? <laughs> no, not hot dogs from home. You oh, think he got some on the street? Bad. It's just like, what is that hot dog for lunch? <laughs> um, but he has a good quote, and I actually really like this. He says, a great man is not necessarily a good one. And that's a very good quote, especially for our times and like abusers making art and stuff like that. He then explains how actually his dad loved him, but he showed in, in different ways. And I can relate to that. So he's like, you know, we he had all of us come over when you were pitching. It actually made your dad secretly a Cubs fan because they're all in New York. Um, So... I guess this guy pitched for the Cubs and is a lawyer, like a real hot shot. And then Sam continues, you know, uh, he had the Chicago Law Journal delivered to his office every day to find your name. So this guy's busy. And he's like, I wish I would, you, you know, he would have said something. And Sam's like, Sam tells him, there's always a spot for you here, Peter. And he's like, oh, I get mad pussy in Chicago. I'm just going to stay there. I was on the Cubs. Um, I'm just here to settle my dad's affairs. And then Sam is like, says an insane thing about how New York hot dogs are better than Chicago. And I never get too riled about New York, Chicago, like whatever. I don't care. But the hot dogs, I'm going to put my foot down. There's no I've never way. had a hot dog in Chicago That's so sad for you because now you're a vegetarian. So I'm going to explain. I mean, I've talked about this before. The all beef dog, it's kind of a catchphrase. We have people (laughs) have sewn me um, needle points that say it. I want a fat beef dog, I believe was the quote. (laughs) But the Chicago dogs are thick, all beef dog, and they fit the bun perfectly. Okay. The New York hot dogs are thin as fuck. We don't know what's in there. And they're too long for the bun. It makes no sense. Yeah. You have like a bonus bunless bite on either end, pretty much. They're just not juicy. They're always dry. They're always thin. And it's like, I guess sauerkraut and grilled onions are fun. But it's just like the topping game. Like, it's just not good. Yeah. It is what it is. Neither are the pretzels, but I don't know of a place that's like known for pretzels. No. The only thing of New York street food that I love are those roasted nuts that are like sugary. But... I think you can get those in a lot of places. 
Well, no, the pizza, I, I, you know, I'm not going to, I don't care. But I think- No, but I mean like cart food. Like not, like obviously New York has pizza, but I mean like cart food, you know, like stuff you buy on like the side of the road. I've gotten halal. I have gotten halal. I've gotten some rice and meat. Yeah, I was mostly a vegetarian. I never got to do that. Well, and I love Mr. Softies. I love a froya or like soft serve with sprinkles is heaven to me. But uh, yeah, I just like the- Sam Watterson has lost all credibility thinking that New York hot dogs are better. They're truly not good. Um, so they look into each other's eyes and they walk off. <laughs> so then um, our guy, Peter, he walks into an empty courtroom and it's like, are they just open for drifters? Are the courtrooms <laughs> not locked? You could just walk in and out as often as you want. So he sits in a bench and looks down um, and up and medium and down. You know, his head's moving a lot. Um, and then he cries into his hands. Um, and it, then we cut to Barbara drinking whiskey. Sam walks in and says, you know, we pay you to work, not think. <laughs> um, but then Sam goes, sure, I'll have one. So this is what I mean. Like, I do love this guy, but he's always this poetic. Like, I think he'd get on my nerves. Yeah, he's always like waxing philosophical and poetic, I think. That's like the Sam Waterston thing. Full of quotes, full of Latin catchphrases for sure. Wow. Okay, maybe I do love him. Would I just start with season one? Like, okay, episode one. Yeah, I mean, the Jerry Orbach years are kind of amazing. All right. He says, I wish law was more like chemistry. And he talks about, you know, uh, boiling water, sans bias, judgment, or conscience. Um, Sam leans back in Barbara's desk chair as Barbara continues to sip his brown liquor and look out the window. And Sam bites and asks, so what's out the window? Barbara says his father, seven years ago, went into a diabetic coma and was on life support for six weeks. And Sam says, sorry. And Barbara goes, don't. He was not well-liked by anyone, especially me. So everyone just has bad dads? Because Stabler hated his dad. No, Stabler loved his dad. Stabler's dad was tough, but he loved him. But in OC, he finds out that his dad was a dirty cop. Oh, I thought he always had issues with his dad. I think they may have butt heads, but he was always like, my dad was a good man. He won this special medal from the cops. Uh, And then he finds out that the shooting that he won the special medal from was like a setup and not good. But yeah, I would say a lot of people hate their dads. Yes. I mean, we have Stone, Benson, and I guess that's it for now. But I'm assuming Finn and Munch, they look like Rollins doesn't love her dad. Rollins has a complicated dad. Yeah. So he's not well-liked, but every morning before work, he would visit him in the hospital and every night until the nurses kicked him out. So, damn. Um, and then everyone said there was no brain activity, but he just couldn't let him go. And and he goes, where there's life, there's hope. He could have eased his pain, but he didn't think um, Father Mike would approve. And Sam says, he w- you know, he would have. Um, and Barbara says he was selfish and he hated the man, but still didn't want the burden of being the reason he took his last breath. He says he was selfish. I let him suffer. And Sam says, prosecute Aaron. And Barbara's like, for doing the same thing I did for my to my dad. And Sam answers, the law is what it is. No, <laughs> Sam answers, the law is what the statute says it is. All right. It's a shame, Barbara, no matter how hard we try, we can't legislate morality. Sam is like, we're not in the compassion business, Raphael. Sure, why not? Barbara finishes his drink and so does Sam. They guzzle it down and then says, listen, fine, I'll cut a deal. Offer him probation, go to church and say three Hail Marys and then come back here and finish off that bottle. Again, great advice. I feel like Sam Waterson's like Batman, you know? (laughs) 
choral music plays as Barbara breathes in and has something behind his eyes. Something's in there. He goes to visit the mom at the hospital and says, oh, I thought Aaron would be here. And she responds that he just went to get coffee. And you hear the air pump machines in the background making noise. There are flowers. Classical music is playing. She says, I'd love to just look at him. He's beautiful. Barbara agrees. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's beautiful. Okay. So she says... Um, <laughs> Well, this just reminds me of the Hampton Seinfeld episode where you the gotta baby, see the baby. Yeah, and then <laughs> the guy says, "Breath that that guy has been an SVU, breathtaking." Oh, I forgot who says that. The breathtaking doctor who then calls Elaine breathtaking. Well, first calls Elaine breathtaking, but then calls the ugly baby breathtaking. So <laughs> Elaine gets pissed. He <laughs> is in the episode where he plays the boss where. The older woman lawyer held evidence forever for him. Oh, right, right, he, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She says they spoke to the judge today and he's holding his decision until um, a guardian ad litem can be appointed and represent Drew's interests. Barbara says that can happen quickly and she's like, no, it won't. Nobody wants to make the decision. They all pass the buck. Barbara says, I'm sorry. She goes, fuck, I wish I knew I could know what's going on in there. Sometimes when I can't sleep, I try to imagine not thinking. And she starts to cry. All he knows is pain. It's so wrong, Mr. Barbara. See, they're into like... Mr. Lieutenant, like they're, they're, I feel like they're trying to prove something with like the character of these people. Yeah, I don't know. I would never call Barba Raphael. No, but I would never say Mr. Barba. I would. I would. <laughs> okay. I wish everyone saw Kara's face when she said that. Sorry. I just, my parents indoctrinated the Mr. And Mrs. to me. And like, I still call their friends Mr. and Mrs. And they're like, you're very old. You don't have to do that anymore. And I'm like, okay, Mrs. Seymour. Like, I still do it. Um, so he said, my parents had no friends, so easy for me. <laughs> he says he's offering Aaron probation. But I did, you know, so the kids call me Lisa. They don't say Aunt Lisa, but my sister has a foot massager and I, my niece was sitting there and I go, move. I'm, I want to do the foot thing. And she wouldn't move. And I go, this is how you treat your aunt? Are you fucking kidding me? I, I'm like, you have to respect me. Get the fuck. Like, I was like, I, I got kind of snippy. I was like, get up. I'm like, I have no respect here. I am your aunt. <laughs> I get no respect. If I'm telling you to get up from this chair, I want to sit there. You fucking move. I'm old, okay? Um, <laughs> so whatever. He says he's offering Aaron probation. And she goes into a story. So there's like, not a twist, but this does add a like, more layers and more conundrums and more philosophical quandary into this episode. So when she was five months pregnant, the doctor said there was a good chance that he would be like this. And Barb is like, Maggie, don't do this. Um, but she goes, Aaron wanted her to get an abortion. But she was the one that's like, no, let's take our chances. And she goes, wasn't I the brave one? I did the righteous thing and my baby has to do all of the suffering. But why is it righteous? Like, that's why morality and abortion just don't even mix at all. There's nothing righteous about not yeah. having an abortion. It's yeah. fake words. Christian, Like, religion loves fake words. Righteous means nothing. Grace yeah. means nothing. It's like, ask someone to define grace. <laughs> they don't know. Yeah. Barbara's like, you should not judge yourself. And she screams, why the hell not? And he can't breathe without a machine. He can't eat without tubes. He can't see. He can't hear. Um, I could have prevented that. And I chose to be righteous. And she's crying so hard. And she's, she's just doing like, a great job. Like, oh, I'm yeah. so sad for her. Like, this actress is really good. Yeah, she's just like, why can't he just die as she sobs? Barbara takes a few moments and goes, he can. 
She turns to look at him as snot drips down and Barbara nods at her and she gets it and exhales deeply and just begins to walk out of the room. She turns, looks at her baby one more time and tries to push the button to end his life, but she can't do it. Her hands keep pulling back and she cries and bends down, not able to stand up straight. And she's just full on sobbing. And he says, Maggie, you should go. And she says, I can't leave him. And he says, Maggie, go. Go, please. She breathes heavy and finally turns to leave. Barbara stays in the room. Very dramatic music plays. He looks serious. He looks at the baby. He starts to cry. He does a Catholic hand motion, kisses his fingers. He smiles, swallows hard. Then it cuts to black. Are they in a hospital? The machines would go off if he did this. Like, there would be machines that were like, he's coding, and the women would come back in and plug it back in. It would make more sense if this was set at their house. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. We're outside. It's daytime, cold New York air. He's getting a paper when a beanie wearing Benson runs up to him. Rafa, what the hell did you do? You killed the baby? And he's like, I just expedited his passing. And Benson's like, that's going to be a tough hair to split in the courtroom. She's pissed. He says, like, the courtroom is the last thing I was thinking about in that hospital. And Benson's raging in the face, but makes prayer hands to calm herself down in front of her (laughs) and says, you could go to prison. And he's like, yeah, I fucking know. But sometimes you act without the concern for the consequences. And she's like, not you. You are suspenders and a belt. That's shame. (laughs) No, it's just like, I think what she's saying is like, yeah, you don't, you would never be caught with your pants even falling down an inch. Like that's how like by the book you fucking are. But it is funny little shade. Um, he says, I had no option. And Benson's like, fuck, I got to fix this and runs off. And Barbara, Barbara yells, oh, I knew there was going to be one because I, we have to say his name so many times. So I've already heard like two, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara yells, you can't help me. And then he licks his lips. Okay, so Benson. <laughs> cool detail. <laughs> Benson runs into Sam Watterson now and is like, hey, he's like, you you want to talk to Barbara, I'm assuming. Um, and she's like, he's the best ADA I've ever worked with. He's honest and honorable. And Sam's like, listen, I can't have my ADAs running around killing people. Fair point. It's unbecoming. LOL. They are truly drag queens in this episode. <laughs> she says he did what he thought was right. And Sam knows uh, that. But what about the jury? And he seems like very unaffected by all this. And he's like, oh, look, it's my dinner date. And it's Peter Stone. And he introduces himself to Benson. And he goes, hey, I'm Peter Stone. Um, and he's a sh- hot shot out of Chicago. He's going to be special counsel in People vs. Raphael Barba. Benson is in shock. Peter says, it's a pleasure, and reaches out his hand. Benson does not shake it and just says, I sure hope you suck. And stares right through him and then walks off. He says, hey, Jack, how'd you know I was going to say yes? And he goes, because you have more in your father in you than you know. More dramatic music. They walk off together. So we I'm open- glad he was able to get certified, bar certified in New York City overnight. <laughs> Maybe he did. I bet he did <laughs> to get his father's approval years prior to all yeah, of this. Maybe. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, We open back. I think the... The the more unrealistic thing is that he was also playing for the Cubs. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I mean, these are things that take full 
your full heart and spirit. Like you don't become a professional athlete by fully committing to law school too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he must've done it afterwards or something. Yeah. Cause I think he says he only pitched for like a season or two, but yeah, like go on. Injured. Um, yeah. I was, um, you know, on YouTube and I was, I sometimes watch ballet like in the life of a ballerina. And uh-huh. so I was in the ballerina wormhole and one ballerina was like ask, answering questions and someone was like, how do you have a career in ballet? And her answer was like, it's all encompassing. You have to love everything. You have to read about it, watch it, listen to it, practice all the time, artistic work. She's like, she's like, you have to take care of your body. Like, she's like, there's no like, oh, I'm going to nightclub. She's like, it's a full thing. You're, you can't just dabble in yeah. a career in ballet. And I feel the same way with like l- criminal law and baseball. Like, you got to live it, breathe it. Yeah. But I think you get to party more with those careers. You could do coke and stuff. So, <laughs> Yeah. We open back up at the law office of Randolph L. Dworkin, 123 Leonard Street. Um, and now, wildly, this is Bart Genzel. So, um, for many episodes, he plays a pimp-type character named Bart Genzel. And he um, he has, I guess, come back for two episodes as this attorney. And he's throwing a football and catching it. And he's just like, this is a petty case of drinking and driving. Like, he's acting like this is not... Barbara murdering a baby. He's really just like, it's very cash. He babbles about something and Barbara's like, hey, if you don't want to represent me, don't. And he responds, oh, I don't want to represent you. I have to represent you. Cases like this wet my whistle. So what did the little bastard do? (laughs) (laughs) I'm confused. I'm sure you can afford a better lawyer or has friends in high places. Like why this scummy kind of guy? Or is he not scummy and he is Maybe he good. feels what like, maybe, maybe like other lawyer, like high class lawyers, like wouldn't touch this case with a 10 foot pole. You got to go to somebody who's like a little bit more like hard, like scrabble a little bit, you know, someone who's a little bit more. Not good. You know? Barbara, after the comment calling the baby a bastard says, oh, this was a mistake. And he's like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And Barbara still like gets up to walk away and Dworkin stands up and is like, my point is this whole thing is a sick joke. You killed something that nine out of 10 doctors would say isn't alive. And Barbara's like, well, what about the 10th doctor? And he's like, well, we both want to prove a point. And this is the perfect partnership. Barbara is intrigued and asks, what kind of point would you like to prove? He says, the government's reach has gotten too big. And the bigger the government, the smaller the individual. And once the government takes away our right to die, they take our, away our right to live. He's proud of himself with that one. Um, he's like, how am I doing so far? Barbara nods and sits back down, uh, but still arms crossed. So now we're in the Supreme Court. Aaron's on the stand um, and Stone is doing the questioning. He says that uh, Dr. Vaccaro said it was bad, but some stem cell doctors gave him hope. And the mom's now on the stand and she goes, there is no hope. He was already dead. So Stone gets up and up immediately is like, so sorry, I really don't want to do this. And she's like, then don't do it. And he's like, the law says I must. Um, so <laughs> there's a document. He puts this article in her face and it's that she didn't get an abortion and she knew this was going to happen and she took the risk. And she's so emotional and sad reading all of this out loud with tears welling in her eyes. And she says she did it because she just couldn't. I couldn't kill my baby. And he's like, oh, because it would be wrong. And she says, yes. Tears then begin to stream down her face. Stone pushes. And, and uh, so it's wrong to abort at five months, but it's not wrong to kill him 10 months after he was born. The mom says nothing. We're on the steps in jackets and Benson asks Stone if he has spoken to Barbara and he's like, the law says I can't. I mean, these he's 
It's I also a bad him. faith. This is a bad faith argument too, what Stone is pushing, because it's like she didn't abort her baby because she thought maybe he wouldn't have this. Now that he has it, she made a different decision. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, she it's should not, have just done, she should have aborted. She, right. Yes, well, she took a chance, but it's not the same is what I'm saying. I think it's wrong. I think you should, I think the government should force this upon you. No, but <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think it's like the opposite of righteous to me. I think it's the most selfish thing you can do. You know yeah. your baby is going to be in full physical pain or a but chance But I think she of. didn't know. They just told her there was a chance is the thing. And so yeah, she but went that's with enough. the chance. If you actually love your baby, if you're, let's say, you're, let's say your kids are, you know, alive and well and kicking and then your kid comes up to you and goes, hey, I want to go on this roller coaster. There's a chance I can die. But like, there, you know, like you'd be like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, but there's, I mean, it's different. To me, it's different. I don't know if like, it depends on what they told her too. Like, did they tell her it's 50-50, it's 20-80? You know, like what did they tell her were the chances? You're right. You the know? chances are wild. It's one in 10 million. That's what yeah. they said earlier. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'd say to myself, if it's one in 10 million and I have a chance, like, I don't know. I don't know what I would do, to be honest. I had a panel of 200 genetic tests done on both of my kids when they were in the womb. And I would have definitely considered like termination for sure if they had something that I thought was going to cause them like irreparable pain. But it depends on what the doctors tell you, you know? Anyway, anyway, definitely complicated. I just don't think that his argument is in good faith because it's not the same exact, th it's not Well, like you know what's even worse? My argument about the roller coasters. I think that's the worst thing <laughs> I've ever said on this podcast. <laughs> it's like the dumbest thing ever because um, I think there's always a chance on roller coasters or bungee dumping. There's a chance every like, time you get into a car, your kid could you could die. Yeah, you know, it was I mean, like dumb. I just yeah. feel like, and they'll get into more and more of this philosophical stuff. But I understand how it's like a good. I think it's actually a good argument because it's like you knew this was a result and you still did it. But I don't think she knew. Like, it, they told her there was a chance. They didn't say your kid has this. That's different to me. I, yeah, I but what about Tay-Sachs as a Jew? Like, if they said, listen, you're, there's a chance for oh, tay Oh, I would have absolutely terminated. Yeah, I would have terminated. But I was tested for the Tay-Sachs gene, and I don't have it. But, like, um, you know, I would, I would absolutely, if I knew my kid was going to be born just into pain, I mean, babies with Tay-Sachs have no survival rate. You know what I mean? Like, it's just different. Like, they, if they didn't, if they told her, well, so, if there's a, what, if they so told what her there's a two know? in five chance that your baby's going to be born totally normal. I don't know. That could be tough to just no. say. Well, because you said Tay-Sachs, you would abort, right? You would terminate. Yeah. So what if they said it's a small chance, but there is a small chance your kid has Tay-Sachs? You would do it. You would not carry to term <sighs> if there was a Tay-Sachs chance. It's a, yeah, it's a little different because you either have the gene or you don't, but yeah. I mean, it's with these rare things. It's like, I don't know. It's just like a, I mean, they're going to get more into it. And I understand like you can have like, a, I don't know. You're right. It is hard. So <laughs> um, I just hate Peter Stone. <laughs> um, okay. So, and also Mika Vaughn came from Chicago. So I wonder why they love bringing people in from Chicago. I thought it was because of all the Chicago shit going on, but who That's knows? That's true. 
She's like, fuck the law. Look him into his eyes. Talk to him. She says, that man lives in a place that men who wrote the law don't even think about. And Stone has a great response. She goes, he goes, well, down here amongst us mere mortals, he is a class A felon. Drag. So she then pulls the, you don't have kids, do you? And this bothers me because it bothered her so much when Stabler did it to her. So I can't believe that the pattern continues forever. And she says, well, their pain is your pain. Rafa knows that. And it's like, oh, well, Rafa doesn't have kids. So how does he know? But Peter doesn't. It's like, you know, she's trying her best. She's pulling at straws, but... I don't love when our queen acts like Stabler acted. Stone turns around annoyed, like, yeah, lady, I get why he did it. I understand why he did it. I get it, okay? But if we as a society ignore it, then we're saying that murder isn't absolutely wrong. And then we condone it once in a while. And then we keep condoning it. And she's like, he's a decent man and he did a decent thing. And he says, yeah, we shoot down horses, not babies. Um, This is a slippery slope of games. And he goes, okay, what if it wasn't MDDS? But it was Down syndrome or leukemia or a sore throat. He was just unhappy. But I hate the slippery slope games. We do condone murder and self-defense is a condoned murder. I mean, there's ways that people are murdered all the time that's condoned by the law. Benson fights back. That's the thing with all you lawyers. You're always talking about the reasonable man. Well, let me tell you something. You wouldn't know about a reasonable man if he fell out of the sky and he landed at your feet and she walks off. He stares off into the city. Barbara's now on the stand as Dworkin is questioning him. Barbara says he's worked at the DA's office for 21 years. He has spent his entire professional life practicing law, enforcing the law, and putting those that violate the law behind bars. And he answers yes to all of those questions. And then answers, is murder against the law? Is it not? And he goes, it is. So he's like, what happened here? I don't believe what I did was murder. But his lawyer's like, dog, he was alive. And after you left, he was dead. And Barbara goes, yes, I killed him, but I do not believe it was murder. So Dworkin's like, what, what are, what's this razor's edge we're walking on? Barbara says, it was justifiable homicide. Dworkin goes, in other words, you had to do it? And Barbara starts a story. He says there were flowers next to Drew's crib on the table, orange roses. He would never know how wonderful they are. He could not smell them. His mom was playing one of Bach's cantatas. Cuts to Drew's parents crying on the stand. The eternal Bach. Drew couldn't hear it. Um, he never, he'd never see a cloud, a rainbow, um, the sun, the moon. The bottom line is that he would never even know that these things existed. He didn't know if he was hungry or thirsty. He couldn't recognize the faces of his mother and father, all he knows and ever knows was the pain of his soul-called life. The doctor said his brain stopped functioning, so he was dead already. But the lawyer's like, but you're a man of the law. You must be able to make a distinction about who's dead and who's alive. And he's like, the courts have only dealt with this issue tangentially. He then brings up Roe v. Wade. The court implied an unborn baby was alive when it could survive on its own. And Drew could not do that without machines. He could not live on his own. So therefore, that's not a life. There's an objection, but Stone, no one addresses it. Like, Stone says objection. There's not an overruled, sustained. Like, <laughs> no one cares. He's invisible. So Barbara launches into an impassioned response. All I know is when I looked in his crib, I saw a baby who couldn't form the most basic thought of his own. He couldn't love or hate or hope. Tears are welling in his perfect eyes. He says, when I saw the pain that the unutterable suffering of that his existence was causing the two people who loved him the most, I had to do something. Whether that meant going 
going to prison or not. The jury is moved and they're thinking. Dworkin sits down. Stone stands up. He asks if Ma uh, Maggie has sole custody of Drew and the answer to that, of course, is no. So Stone's like, well, did you talk to the dad before you hasten the death of his son? Of course, that answer is no as well. So it cuts to the parents looking straight ahead and sad. Stone asks if he feels guilty for what he's done. And he throws back, do you feel guilty for what you're doing? He's like, I'll ask again. Do you feel guilty for what you've done? Barbara says, I did what I thought was right. Stone walks towards him with anger this time. Like, Barba, do you feel guilty? Wet eyes, he says, I do. Somber music now plays. Stone turns around. The jury stares at Barba. Barba stares at Liv. Liv looks worried. The judge asks if the jury has reached a verdict, and they have. On the sole count of indictment and murder in the second degree, we find the defendant, Rafael Barba, not guilty. He sighs. Benson sighs and closes her eyes. The lawyer shakes uh, Barba's hand and is proud of the job he's done. Um, and Barba and Benson hug. The parents shake Stone's hand on the way out as he says, well done to them. That's weird. Why would he say well done to them? He walks off. Well, um, we're now in Barbara's office as he is cleaning out his giant ass office and his suspenders. Sam Watterson walks on in there and it's, you know, he's smug but jolly. I, I With little limericks. Like, I don't really even know how to describe this guy. <laughs> he says, you do realize half my job is stopping people who work here doing something stupid. Barbara throws the sass right back and says, well, now you have one less person to worry about. Sam goes, you don't have to do this. And he knows, Sam is like, what are you going to do? And he's like, would it be super corny if I say I got to do what I must? And Sam's like, yes, you're all, you've all been corny, me included, this whole fucking episode. <laughs> Barbara smiles. Sam says, but I understand. Barbara's eyebrows raise. They firmly shake hands. They both, uh, you know, deep breath. Barbara in a brown peacoat stands outside staring at the courthouse. Benson walks up to him and says um, that she feels guilty about this. He's like, why? What did you do? And she's like, I called you about this case. He says, you know, when we started working together, the world was an old movie and it was black and white. And I was absolutely sure, absolutely sure who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. And you started to weasel your way into my world and black and white became different shades of gray. Don't say it, he chuckles. And before I knew it, there were blues and greens and yellows and reds. And I'm you now, live. You opened my heart and I thank you for it. And she says, and... He musters out that he's got to move on as he cries. She starts to cry. He kisses her on the forehead, which sickens me. So then he walks away while crying. And you know he's going to cry on his walk or subway. And so it's like very New York. Everyone's cried in public in the streets. And we close on Mariska's beautiful face. And that is the end of one of the saddest without sexual assault episodes of all time. Yeah, so sad. I mean, the forehead kiss, I feel like, is maybe to, like, I don't even know what that is all about because I never saw a Barba Benson thing. I've said this a million times. I never saw it. They were so brother and sister to me, but maybe that got the... What are the people that want live and Barbara together? Ben, Bar, ben Barba? Ben Arbas? I don't know what they're called, but, you know. Bonobos. Um, bonobos. Um, all right. Thank you, Lisa, for that beautiful recap. We will be right back with... The very sad true story. Mm -hmm. 
listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. And we're back. Um, Okay, so this episode is based on a pretty recent story, a very sad story of a little boy named Charlie Gard in 2017, uh, which the whole story unfolded very, very publicly just a few months before this episode aired. So it was definitely the inspiration. Um, Charlie was born in the UK in um, the London area, I believe, in August of 2016. And um, a couple months later, same as the baby, uh, same as baby Drew, in October of 2016, when he was two months old, he was hospitalized at Great Ormond Street Hospital, which is abbreviated as GOSH, because his breathing was shallow and he wasn't thriving. And he was diagnosed with the same thing, mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome, and he was put on a ventilator. Um, MDDS is a progressive disease that causes muscle weakness and loss of motor skills. It is extremely rare. Charlie was only the 16th person known in the world with the condition at the time. So, very, very, very rare. The condition can be inherited genetically or can just spontaneously occur as the fetus develops. But in Charlie's case, both his parents, Chris Gard and Connie Yates, were carriers of the gene. They just didn't know that until after Charlie was diagnosed. So, a couple months um, after he was put on this ventilator. He began having seizures, which was a sign that his condition was deteriorating. In December, a doctor named Michio Hirano, a neurologist at Columbia in New York City who had been working on an experimental treatment for MDDS was called. And he and Gosh sort of made a deal to collaborate on Charlie's treatment. And it was all going to be paid for by the NHS, which is the National Health Service in the UK, which they have public health care that, you know, we just cannot figure out here in the US. But if you... Follow the comedian Rob Delaney, who wrote a book about it and recently lost his son to uh, childhood cancer. Like, he praises the National Health Service for taking care of his kids and not sending them into bankruptcy while doing it. Um, So anyway, the thing, the trick about Dr. Hirano, he kind of sounds like this angel coming in to offer hope to these parents, but he offered them like an experimental treatment without ever examining Charlie in person or even looking at his medical records. And some people thought later that he had like financial or personal gains to make by being involved in the case. And he actually did get, a. it's in my sources, like a write-up, like six things you need to know about the doctor who's about to see Charlie Gard next week. And it's 
in People magazine. So, you know, it's kind of weird to give like a doctor uh, like a whole. Here's what you need to know. He loves kickboxing. Anyway, um, while Hirano's treatment had been tested on mice and 18 people with a mutation in a gene known as TK2, it had never been tried on someone with Charlie's especially serious form of MDDS. So that which was caused by a different genetic mutation. So it's like, the experimental treatment was not even for his specific kind of MDDS. And so, like, he offered these parents this hope without, like, full knowledge, I think, of the case. And in January, Charlie had more seizures that caused... This is January of 2017 now. He had more seizures that caused brain damage, and the and Gosh decided that treatment was futile and would only prolong Charlie's suffering. Charlie could not hear, see, swallow, or cry. They talked to the parents about taking Charlie off of life support, but the parents wanted to continue with the experimental treatment. So it, unlike the episode, the parents are on the same page the whole time. In the episode, in the real life, it's the parents versus the hospital and the government. So the um, exper- they wanted to raise money, so they fundraised to have Charlie transferred to New York. A crowdfunding page was set up by his mom and earned more than 1.3 million pounds, which... I guess at the time was equivalent to like $1.7 million um, to go towards his treatment. And the parents were essentially, the parents were under the impression that the treatment could get Charlie to the point of living a normal life while the consensus among all medical professionals was that that was never going to be possible. And at this point, um, Gosh stepped in to petition the UK courts to take Charlie off the ventilator and begin palliative care, which is kind of just like making him comfortable, like hospice, basically, it sounds like. Doctors said Charlie was suffering and his parents said, no, he's not. So that's kind of a difficult impasse. Like, and there's no way to... It's like when parents, we talk about this when parents are like, well, I just know best. And it's like, no, you don't. Yeah. You're an idiot. (laughs) If doctors told me my child was suffering, like I wouldn't be like, well, I actually read a few articles online and he's not. Like I never understand parents that are like, I've done my research. It's like, they've gone to medical school. I don't think we need to blindly, I mean, if you trust your gut, like doctors do make mistakes, but like the general parents know the absolute very best thing above medical professionals, that kind of baffles me a little bit. But I'm also from a medical family. I bet we know one mom who thinks that she knows more than doctors. Yes, I bet we know a couple. Um, (laughs) Wait, you want to hear something? So my parents have been watching the Russian version of the show House. Uh And um, there was one where like this guy was sick for 20 something years. Like he was just so sick and no one can find out what happened. And so his sister thought he might have just had Munchausen's. And then finally the house type character found that as a kid, he was like chewing on a pencil and the lead got stuck up in his gums. And so he had lead poisoning. Like this like, but I think my parents said it was granite, but either way, there's just like, a pencil tip in his gu- <laughs> up in his gums for uh, decades, and then once they took it out, he just needed antibiotics, and he was back to normal. Wow. Well, because BD Wong I- hosted a show called "Something Is Killing Me" that I used to watch that I liked. Mm. So I understand you can't just trust doctor. Like, what p- pisses me off is how long it takes to get to a doctor. Like, unless you go to urgent care. You can't just go to the doctor. Well, that's what people, that's the argument people have against national health, um, like, uh, I have PPO plans. insurance. I I, like, I know. It has nothing to do with national or not. No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, that's the argument that it would get even worse if we went on to socialize healthcare because the lines would be so long because everyone would be waiting for MRIs, waiting for CAT scans, like, blah, blah, blah. That's the argument. I mean, I don't, 
agree with it necessarily, but like, you know, that's the argument people have. But well, yeah, if it was different now, then I would be okay. But it's this, like, I, it takes three, four months to get into a specialist. Yeah. It's I crazy. have friends where, like, someone's like, oh, there's a lump. You have to go in for something and they have to wait months. It's that's like, bad. it's, it is bad. Yeah. You can't just that's go to terrible. a doctor. Yeah. Um, but parents being like, I know every, like, of course, yeah, doctors are wrong and you can follow yourself, but being like, oh, no, 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 The treatment, it will solve all the problems while yeah. the doctors are like, no. Um, it's and desperation then the too. Yes, yes. So the parents argued that the hospital had sort of dragged their feet and waited too long on getting him started on the experimental treatment. But the hospital said, no, his brain damage is irreversible. The treatment will not help it. Like, it just won't. He's He's got like no brain function or whatever. Although that's not the case with him because at first he got a brain scan and it looked clear and everyone's like, look, his brain is clear. And it's like, that doesn't mean it's functioning correctly. Like it just means like that there's no physical, I don't know, pro like, but that doesn't mean that it's functioning correctly. And clearly it's not because he's not doing like any of the things that his brain should be helping him do. And in fact, many of the pediatric specialists that the parents insisted on had agreed with Gosh. Like the parents were like, he's got to see this specialist. And the specialist would come in and be like, yeah, I agree with the hospital. This is going to prolong his life, not improve it. Like it's only carrying out his suffering. It's never going to improve. And um, so then it did go to court. The courts agreed with the hospital. And apparently the court scene was like extremely dramatic. The parents, both parents stormed out multiple times. Lawyers and journalists in the courtroom were crying. Like it was a very, very emotional case for a lot of people. The parents appealed the case and also brought it to the European Court of Human Rights. But both times the appeal was denied and the original decision was upheld. But And those cases were both in June of 2017. And obviously this case caused controversy, opened up a whole moral quandary, the same of the episode. Like who has a say in the treatment of a sick child, the parents or the doctors? When does the government get to step in to compel parents to let their children who are ill go? Um, so this is also around the time where Charlie's case really starts to get magnified on social media. Like I said, the doctors getting a profile in People Magazine, like all this stuff. Like, And apparently the hashtag was used in a month like half a million times, the Charlie Guard hashtag. So um, everyone was weighing in. The Pope tweeted... To defend human life above all when it is wounded by illness is a duty of love that God entrusts to all. And then, of course, Trump follows up three days later. Let's not forget, this is the early days of the Trump presidency. And he's quote, he says, quote, tell me if this even means anything. If we can help little Charlie Gard, as per our friends in the UK and the Pope, we would be delighted to do so. I don't know. Apparently, there were two... Um, Republican senators who were like rushing through a petition to get Charlie put as a American citizen so that he could come over and get the experimental treatment over here. But it's like conservatives in the U.S. were just using this opportunity to A, bash socialized medicine and of course have it contribute to like the right to life and, and anti-abortion arguments. Um, anti-abortion groups completely glommed on to Charlie's case. Protesters picketed outside the hospital, made death threats against staff members because they're not pro-life. They're just anti-abortion. Like, you want people to die, but, you know, like, it doesn't make sense. Um, everyone was posting and talking shit about Gosh and the NHS when they really had no idea the facts of the case, especially going over to America. Like, the U.S. people have no fucking idea what they're talking about, and they're all like, save this baby! And it's like, you do not know what's going on. Every specialist then has Then you take care of sick. it. 
You take care yeah. of it. Why don't we drop the baby off at the Pope? How about that? Yeah. The Pope Every can take specialist care of the baby. has come in and said this baby is suffering. This medic, this treatment will not work. And in and and in reality, Dr. Hirano should not have given the parents this ray of hope without fully understanding like the entire scope of, you know, Charlie's case and medical history. Um, so in July, like a few weeks later, after both of their appeals are turned down. Medical experts, including Dr. Hirano, who finally went over and saw physically, physically saw Charlie in person for the first time in July of 2017, all agreed that treatment was not working and the parents soon agreed to withdraw their opposition. So on July 25th, he was removed from a ventilator and received palliative care until he passed away on July 28th, a few days shy of his first birthday. And it's really so sad. But Charlie's mother, Connie Yates, said, quote, he had a greater impact on and touched more people in this world in his 11 months than many people do in a lifetime. So very sad, but I also just, it's like my argument for in everything. It's like this stuff goes between like, this really should be between parents and their doctors. The government like probably shouldn't be involved at all. But then if parents are not seeing reality, then I guess the government has to step in. Well, yeah, because I'm speaking about this in such black and white terms of like, that's right, that's wrong. And I understand there's like human emotions that play into it. Yeah. So I understand once you've given birth to a child and stuff that it's like hard to make this decision. But I'm less, the the character in the TV show, it's like, you had warning. Yeah. But it's complicated. But the dad also says, what if they come up with something? I mean, that's the thing too. I think that's why people will like sit in comas forever or or, or Terry Shivo's people, parents were like, let's wait there. Something could happen. They could come up with the new experiment. And it's like, but I wonder how often does an experimental drug come around that just completely takes a person with such a degenerative disease and brings them back to full like life. You know what I mean? I just, I wonder how often that actually happens, but I know hope is a powerful drug. So anyway, a bummer of a case and a bummer of an episode. Yeah. But it also bothers me that, um, the U.S. weirdly got involved. Oh, so involved. Like people were picketing, save Charlie, all this stuff. It's like, save him. Like, He's suffering. Like, no one, you know, the U.S., I don't think they really fucking read the things. I read a whole article that's in my, um, it's in my notes from, like, a pediatrician in the U.K. who was like, they brought in all these specialists. Everyone agreed. Like, it wasn't like there were some people that were like, hold on, this could work. Like, you know, I think the consensus of multiple doctors from multiple organizations is like, you know, we got to go with that. Oh, well, because the social medicine where it's like, that's the proponent, um, like people that are in opposition, like people in the UK can have insurance. Like just because there is socialized medicine doesn't mean you can't have private care. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know what I mean? It doesn't change yeah. anything, but I'm just saying I spend thousands upon thousands a year, like most people on insurance and I can't get into doctors or specialists and I still end up paying out of pocket for tons of stuff. I always owe bills and it's like, what are we, what are you talking about? I know. I have shingles and I can't see a doctor. Yeah. I just made my annual dermatology appointment seven months in advance. I just made my mammogram 11 months in advance because I know how hard it is to get in for all this shit. And I'm just like... Not, but obviously it's a different case because you need to go to someone urgently, and like that's terrible when no like, one you can't could get see in me. Specialist, the doctors were like, "Go to urgent care," and it's like, "What is what is happening here?" Yeah, what about cancellations? People are getting COVID. Yeah, Ugh. 
Anyway, I hope someone gets COVID so you can get in. Um, listen, bummer of an episode, bummer of a true story, but we have truly a delightful guest, so don't go anywhere. I think it's really going to raise your spirits. Okay, guys, today's guest gives a powerhouse performance in this episode. You have seen him on other procedurals like Blue Bloods and Chicago Med, but today you know him as panicked father, Aaron Householder. Guys, we had the best time talking to the very talented Joe Tapper. Check it out. So we are mutual friends with Emily, Gordon, and Kumail. And yes. I I just had dinner with her last night and she was like, when are you talking to Joey Taps? I was like, tomorrow at 10 a.m. So <laughs> like, I'm excited to talk to you. So this is your second SVU, right? You did this one info like yeah. many years ago. Yes, I did. I played, so it was my first job out of drama school. And I, uh, that was, I played like her lawyer and in infiltrated. Oh. She was like on the run in Oregon and I played her lawyer and got, helped get her out of jail. And she was, <laughs> you know, it was like really quick and hard. And like, it was like, boom, boom, boom. You know, like my first scene ever is with Mariska Harvitay on, you know, TV ever, you know. Yeah. And she couldn't have been sweeter. And her character's not into you, right? You're like a, de- you're like a public defender. Yeah, she, she like- did. She was like, I like the first line is like, how old are you? Yeah. And I was, you know. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I was Perfect. like an asshole lawyer just trying to get her out. But but she was amazing. I, I mean, I'll never forget that experience for many reasons. But she uh, she gave me a kiss on the cheek and said, you popped your cherry. Because oh. <laughs> it was my first TV. <laughs> so cute. Did you go to school in New York or did you move I went to, to New school. York? I went to Yale in New Haven. I went to Yale oh, School wow. of Drama. Yeah. I've yeah. heard of it. I've heard yeah, of it. I we've think, heard. Yeah. I think <laughs> I've heard and, of and, it. You know, and I've heard of it every time the student loan bill comes in the mail. So, <laughs> so it's good for me to hear about it. I yeah. love how they keep in touch with the alumni. <laughs> they do. I really do they love do, that. And they ask me for donations. <laughs> it is such a wonderful, wonderful experience. I cannot believe... So, so then you moved to New York after drama school, did this, and yeah. and well, so Emily just told me that you guys just sort of had to go back to New York really for a bit, right? Yeah, right now I am in like New York corporate housing. My my wife is doing uh, a show uh, on the on the uh, on the Broadway and the on the Broadway stage, and we like we like uprooted and <laughs> we're here now. Yeah, and, what and show? My one, she's doing a show called Sweeney Todd. We've heard of that too. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a small, small show. <laughs> and then, so did you guys meet through plays or whatever? Since like, I don't know how integrated the play world and the musical world are in the New York theater yeah. scene. We didn't, we met, um, we were set up. We were set Ooh. up. I was still, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was like, you know, one of those, it was like, uh, I always make a joke that my wife and I have been dating since before the iPhone. So all this like, <laughs> you know, all this new way of dating is very um, interesting to me, but uh, and fascinating. Uh, but um, we were set up. I was still a third year in, in 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 drama school, and I was like coming down for an you know an audition from school, and and I was like set up to meet the meet her at a Whole Foods. <laughs> and we met and she was um understudying Glinda in the first national tour of of a oh, small wow. another small musical called Wicked. Yeah, small, it's ringing small. a bell. Okay. Yeah, it's a small one <laughs> about a, an archaic subject matter. But um 
But yeah, so we, so she was kind of just in town for an audition too, and we met, and it was, you know, indelible. <laughs> it was an indelible. I love look. that. And then Whole we kind of Foods. Parted. What was the plan to it go grocery Whole, shopping? It, no, it was just like, you know, it was the Whole Foods on Union Square in 2005. Oh, so it was yeah. like a niche. It was niche then. You yeah. Know? It was like, ooh, have a coffee and some sushi. And, uh, and we met and then we kind of parted ways and we kind of kept running into each other at like, because our manager set us up. We both have the same oh. manager when she set us up. And um, we kind of kept running into each other at events and things like that. And then, gosh, I mean, less than two years, we were we were dating and... We were living Love together it. and getting married and doing all the doing all the stuff, having kids, and here you, here you, here we are. So that's awesome. Yeah. Are you so, guys still with your manager? We are. We are. Wow. I mean, when Hard the manager now, gets you yeah. a career, but also a child and a wife. I mean, what are you gonna? <laughs> <laughs> God, she gets I me. Stay with she her. Gets, yeah. Yeah, she gets me. So. <laughs> so Back to SVU a little bit. So then you you had this part like right out of drama school and then you get this part like that's from, I think 2018 or something yeah, is when this yeah. one came out. So for this one, did they just come to you? Did you have to audition again? How did this work out? Yeah, so I um, I definitely auditioned. I was, so it was, um, it was just after that Shakespeare in the Park that I had just mentioned and I was doing a different play and it was a play I had like a big, like gross beard, like a big beard and my hair was long. And I came in for the audition because the casting director, you know, he knew, he knew me. He's a wonderful person. And, uh, I came in, but I mean, I did not look the part. And like, that's one of the, you know, one of the rules, like, look, look the role. I mean, I think I had like a suit on and a tie. <laughs> I looked like, I looked like, uh, I did, I, I did not look like a real estate agent at that time. And, uh, and I, and I knew when I read the sides, cause my son was like, had just turned one. And if, if, you know, catching people up on the episode, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a, there's some trauma with, with kids. Right. With a, with a young baby. Yeah. And I remember reading the sides, like for the auditions and just like getting really emotional. I was like, oh, this is like, oh, it's like really close to the fire. Yeah. That's what I always say. Like, ooh, you get really close to the fire. Um, and, uh, and I went in and, um, and I did, did my, my version of, of the scenes and, and the director who I had, I don't, I hadn't worked with him before at that point, but he, you know, in that, in those kinds of things, he, he was like, he looked at the casting director and was like, you know, gave me some, some, some adjustments and I took them. And then, I mean, within a couple of days, they called to, to say like, I think they called to say, we want you to do the part. Will you please shave? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> Yes, I will shave and sure. I will get my hair cut. They actually asked me to send a picture of like what I looked like without a beard and like short hair. So um, I did that and uh, it was like right around ho- uh, the holidays. So it was uh, it was just before um, Christmas, like Christmas break or holiday break, New Year's break. And, and I remember feeling very stressed about like not wanting to eat too many hol- holiday baked goods so I could fit <laughs> in my costume. <laughs> but yeah, so... So yeah, that was, um, that was the audition and it was, it was a great, I did not know at that time what kind of like a wild episode that was to be in. Cause it was, you know, dark one. It's sad. No winners. It's a dark one and there are no winners, but also like outside of it, it was Raul Esparza's last episode. Yeah. Um, Sam Watterson came back 
for that episode. And I remember in the table read, they asked me to come in and, and do the table read. Like Sam Watterson was there and, and, and all this stuff. And Dick Wolf called in and they were like, um, everyone, uh, Dick, Dick is, he, he, he wants to speak and they put him on the intercom and it was like the voice of God yeah. <laughs> or the voice of Oz, you know, it was yeah. pretty, pretty wild, but yeah, it was pretty cool. Now is the baby, the baby is not real. The There's baby a doll. is not, it was a doll in some scenes and in some scenes it was real. It they was a tw- real baby. There were real, there was two twins. Yeah, there were twins, but wow. in like the, in the scene of the kidnapping where I'm like, you know, you know, with a gun. It's just yeah. a fake baby. It's a fake baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, because of all the machinery, I was yeah. like staring at that baby being like, is this real or not? But there was a there there I remember like the mom there with twins in a different, <laughs> in a different like I think in the scene with the with the woman who played my wife, Abby and um and Raul Esparza, that the baby was real there. But oh, in the okay. scenes with me like having kidnapped the baby. Sure. <laughs> and so let's get right into that. You kidnapped a baby. You held a gun on Olivia Benson. Wow. Yes, I did. Like yes. what was, you guys were probably somewhere like outside the city, I feel like, because you were we like were in a in, house. We were in Long Island. Yeah. 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 And it, it was awesome. It was yeah. so great. It was so great. It was just amazing. Were you like, remember me when I popped my cherry? You were well, like. <laughs> well, I, we also, I had a mutual friend with her as, uh, with somebody else who's directed a bunch of episodes oh, there. His okay. name is Peter Warner. And he was like, oh, my friend Joe is going to come in. So my first scene with her was in the interrogation room and she came in and we, we had a great conversation. She was so, she was so lovely. And, and yeah, uh, yeah it was, it was amazing. And, um, you know, we, we, you know, she has, she's a mother as well. Um, and we had like a lot of great conversations about like how uh, being a parent is like one of the hard things to really act. Like you don't know. I remember she said, you just don't know until you know. Mm. And that really rings true to me. It's like, you can, you can have an idea of what it is, but that, that level of love and responsibility is, is unmatched. Uh, in, in in many ways. So yeah. And to quote her, she said, you just don't know until you know. And and boy, that felt really, really true. Did you guys discuss like the storyline and parenthood? Like <laughs> like the storylines, why you know, because both yeah. of you have really um like you're being true to yourselves and no one is bad in this scenario. Like you kind I know, of right? uh, yeah. for both of these parents and they both love their kid, but obviously with different results. So like, yeah. did you guys talk about that? Or can, like, were you keeping me, it light? <laughs> yeah, you me, and Marishka, and you and Abby, you and Marishka, you and your own brain. Yeah, any, like, what are the thoughts there? It was really, uh, I don't know if Abby and I really talked about it much. I know that, I got emotional a lot. I got emotional a lot. I remember like even in the courtroom scene um, where Raul Esparza was testifying and we were looking at each other and I remember him looking at me and you know, that was like a really beautiful set. Like they were all in it. They were all in it like camera on them, camera not on them. They yeah. were there. I um, In that scene with Olivia, you know, where I'm holding the gun to her, we have a phone call and, you know, of course, like, when she, the coverage is on her and she's on the phone, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to do it with her. Clearly, I'm doing this. I'm going to do the other end of the phone call, whether I'm on camera or not. And we did it. And then they flipped it, you know, and then it's, you know, the camera's on me and I'm on the phone. 
And she's like, I'm doing this. And I was like, oh, great. She's like, that's how I roll. And I was like, amazing. <laughs> you know, so, so we, you know, we got to do all that. And the same thing with like, you know, when, when the camera was on Raul Esparza in the courtroom, we were like boom locked. And, and also when we, we would flip it, it was, it was, a it was, it was a remarkable two weeks. It was really, really, really good. Did you watch it afterwards? Did you watch did, the episode? I did watch it. I watched it with my mom. My mom happened to be in town at that time. And it was like right around Valentine's Day or something. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't like to watch. I don't really like to watch much, but my mom was in town and I was like, yeah, you know, we can, we can watch it. And, uh, and we, we watched it and, uh, it was, she, my mom was, was pretty emotional and, yeah. and, and, and as was I. Yeah. So, but, um, Ooh. yeah, I watched it at that time. I actually have a really, <laughs> there is, um, do you, you know, um, the play Angels in America? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so the guy who wrote that, Tony Kushner, right? Tony Kushner wrote that play and he wrote like most recently, he wrote like the, that newest version of West Side Story. And he's, you know, he's a legend. He's the legend of, I mean, I'm just like, I bow down to Tony Kushner. And, and that week, the week that the show premiered, like that, that it aired, I was working on the play that Tony Kushner had written before Angels in America called A Bright Room Called Day. I was doing like just a, a like a, like a one day reading with like a bunch of people. It was, and he was going to be there, which made me very nervous. And I was walking into the rehearsal hall and Tony Kushner just happened to like, I've never met him before. You know, I don't know this man. I just kind of got asked to do this thing. And um, he was like downstairs and he saw I was going. So he held the door for me. And we introduced, you know, I said, oh, I'm, you know, reading this part. And he like looked at me really kind of funny. And I was like, he's like, have I, do I know you? Have I seen you in anything? And I was like, I don't, I was in the park. I was in Midsummer this summer. And he's like, no, no, uh, not that. Something else, something on TV. And I was like, I was on SVU last night. And, it, and his face went, you were incredible. <laughs> and he like took me by the arm and like walked me upstairs. Oh my God. Introduced me to his husband. And he was like, this is the guy. This is the guy from last night. <laughs> Do we get Tony Kushner on the podcast as a super fan? <laughs> he, I didn't he know. Loves, he loves us for you. Oh my wow. God. That's yeah. so wild. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great wow. you know, yeah. That's a so good that, tidbit. I wonder yeah. if they even know that Tony Kushner's watching. <laughs> <laughs> He's always watching. And you need to tell your manager that you're back in town for a little bit because it's been five years and were you with the mustache, you look very different. I think you could be a totally different character. Oh, Let's get you back on. It would be my dream to be <laughs> on that show. I would do that show for 20 years. I would, oh, I love, yeah. I remember when I was, it was such a great two weeks. I remember they're like, this is really fun. This is like the first one in a long time that hasn't been like sexual abuse. And I was like, I know, it's great. Yeah. Just like right. baby death. And just death. a dying baby. No, <laughs> no, but it's twisted. Because it yeah. is so sad, but I am like, okay, I know. no one's been, you know, yeah. R-worded. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> just a dilemma. You know, there's no just human a, trafficking rings. Yeah, a no-win situation. I like that yeah. you said that. There's no winners. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it was great. There's just a lot of layers to this episode, but an SVU classic um, 
I love that it was a paint gun, like a paintball gun. <laughs> like, yeah, it is such a heavy episode. And even though you're holding the gun to her, it is kind of a funny, nice moment that it is a paintball gun. That I know. Awesome. And the way she like grabs it and just like takes it. Yeah. <laughs> and it I'm was... like, they shouldn't make paintball guns look that much like real guns because I didn't know. Like it yeah. looked to me like a real fucking but She's a professional. Rifle. Because that's <laughs> what I was thinking. But then I'm like, oh yeah, she has to know. That's yeah. like, and like <laughs> the gig. Like who, who better to like, you know, like if you're going to like submit, like you're going to submit to her. Like, yeah, you know, right. Like, oh. Like, please, you know, you know, she was very warm. She was no, she it was, was so, it was so. You all of you guys had like really amazing performances. Um, and to be in the courtroom and uh, yeah, you know, be on the run and in the interrogation, oh. you really had a full experience. Oh, I mean, I when I walked into that courtroom, I was like, Yes, New York, <laughs> New York, New York. <laughs> if, the, if only the the boy from Illinois could see, because I'm from Illinois, could see me now. You know, what do you have coming up? What are you working on? Do you have anything you want to like plug? Op- shows opening in New York or, or back in LA projects? Or so right now, I am. I'm, I'm working on this new play. Um, that that that's just like uh, really beautiful new play. And then there is a play that I did um, off Broadway. Um, in the year 2019 and we were gonna, it went well, it was kind of a short run, but it, but it was a really great play about, um, a man's, uh, addiction and sobriety. And I, and I am also sober. So like, I just, I love this play. Um, and, um, and then we were going to have another life at it again in the year 2020. Oh, and, wow. uh, <laughs> didn't didn't happen but uh yeah. but um we w- w- there there is some some chatter of of that going on so so i am that's kind of getting ready for for what that will be whenever you know in the in the spring possibly awesome fall. So, can you share yeah. what that's called since it's already gone? it's called the white chip the white yeah. chip okay yeah cool. yeah this was so awesome this joe thanks great. for talking Thank to you. us do you have any i mean any other tidbits you want to add a little funny run-in with iced tea we didn't hear about i don't know something <laughs> <laughs> i do remember iced tea said when dick wolf called in you know i didn't i never worked with him i think he was like outside and i was inside um you know in the in the house but i remember it during the table read uh dick wolf had called in and you know like it was this kind of big to do. And he's like, Dick, are we getting picked up for another season? (laughs) And everybody laughed. And he was like, very diplomatic. And he was like, well, I can't say if we're going to get picked up not uh, or not, but, uh, you know, we hope so. We hope so. It was like season 19 at the time. (laughs) Hilarious. The best panicked father I've ever seen on the show. I loved him. He's such a nice guy. I loved him. Yeah. What a great interview, sweet energy, and he loves what he does. Yeah. This episode, I don't know, post-mortem, you, I would say we gotta, I don't know, it's tough to be like, you gotta trust doctors, but like, I do think there's a fine line of what, because doctors do fuck up all the time. Yeah. But there's, there's like... But this wasn't like one this. doctor. It seemed like it was a whole team of doctors. It yes. seems like it was like a full hospital that was like, "This is your son is in pain." And I understand the the hope of being like, "Oh, but what if there's this like special treatment that gets invented like next year?" You know, and then we've missed out on it. But tough episode, tough. But a it barba, a barba powerhouse. 
episode. You know, I think they really wanted to send him out with an Emmy. I don't think he got one, but they he should have. He was great. Yeah, and I like how much Liv has impacted him and helped him grow and change and, like, as a human. But we also see him come back post this episode, and he's doing his little law tricks. He's yeah. he's defending people that shouldn't be defended. You know? <laughs> he's out there causing a little chaos. He's... um. He's a troublemaker. Well, he's now troublemaker. he sees the now he sees the colors, right? He's become Liv. He used to see things in black and white, right and wrong, and now he sees the colors. So Olivia almost created a monster in that like now he's like, well, these people need defending, even the people that are like who I forget who he he comes back to defend like Dylan McDermott, who like killed Stabler's <laughs> wife. Like he yeah, comes he back does something to bad. defend like really horrible people. So we'll see. Um, what goes on with Barba in other episodes, but yeah, a big one. Um, also, yeah, it's, you know, the mom kept talking about, like, the honorable decision and what is right, and, like, yeah, like, how many people do things, like, is that just pride? Is, you know, like, like, well, what... Don't you think right? I mean, she's talking about righteousness, and I mean that's kind of stuff that's, that's like the word. that's kind of stuff that's drilled into you from a young age. I mean, from religion or teachers or family or like you know of what's the righteous thing to do, you know, which we obviously disagree. Well, yeah, because I love the idea of integrity, where it's like what you do when no one's looking is the correct thing, but. He he kidnapped his baby. I don't know when no one looked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, shoved. the babysitter was looking, but he did duct tape her and put her in a closet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you do- it's so hard being righteous. Is because I always think about like, let's say the worst case scenario happens, and then people on the streets are like, "Are you Jewish?" And then you get in trouble if you're Jewish. Like, I think I I think I look Jewish, but would I lie? Like, I wonder what happens. Like. Or is it foolish to die for a cause or not? Like, I think about that a lot. I'm Unfortunately, I think about the Holocaust often. And I think about that. Like, yeah. the people who lied and just switched it up, said they were Catholic and moved on. Is that less honorable than dying for being Jewish? I don't know. You know? Or is it like what Olivia Benson always says, like, whatever you needed to do to survive is the right thing yeah. to do. And so is being righteous actually always good? Or is it like living? I don't know. It's that's what that's what makes us different than like lizards, right? We're thinking yeah. about this stuff. Yeah. Well, now you're just making me think about how when I would get off the subway in Williamsburg around like Passover and they would have like the they would have like the Lulav and the whatever, and I'd they'd be like, Are you Jewish? And I'd be like, I'm not, even though it's like I I think I look pretty Jewish, but <laughs> Uh, Those like, guys. No, nope, yeah, I but, just can't do it today, guys. But that um, is what I like about the Jews. They never want to convert. They only want to bring the Jews more Jews. Yes. They, they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're not like, have you thought about Judaism today? Like, yeah, they're not doing any of that shit. They're like, and they want to talk to the already people, the people that are already Jewish. Um, so, well, <laughs> we, are we going to jump into a different thing once I talk about like, um, uh, if we're going to die for our religion or not? I don't know. I just like, <laughs> I eat pork. Why would I why would I stand up for something? But it's just it's wild. Yeah. But de- definitely this episode is a moral conundrum on a lot of levels. I feel like there's a lot going on here. So, it's definitely one of the make you think SVU episodes. Uh Well, yeah, cuz you don't want to kill your baby. Yeah. But if he's already dead, I don't know. But what's alive, you know? I know, but it's not like they were enjoying their quality of life. Like because this baby is just going to get bigger. So then you just have like 
a big, beautiful lump of flesh, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This is this is a this is wild that it's like this much of a conundrum, but like truly no rape, no yeah. rape, no real no murder. Rape. Like it is like a calm episode. Paintball gun, not even a real weapon. Yeah, not a lot of. Um, yeah, you're right. What do we know? Why they kicked Barba off the show? Like why Esperasa went? What's his name? Esparza. Why they? Um, why did he leave? I don't know. Great question. I like assume he had Broadway shit he wanted to do or something or other. He's in so much stuff. I mean, like, I bet you he wanted to move on and not be sort of like pigeonholed because he's in that show Candy. He was in the um, show about opioids. What's that called again? Dope Sick. Yes. Dope Sick, Candy. Like, he's been in a bunch of like prestige type of shows. And so I bet he just wanted yeah. to like go out and like diversify. But he come, he pops back in. So obviously, still a friend of the show and like probably no ill will. Um, but okay, let's move on to this week's What Would Sister Peg Do? Uh, our weekly segment where we direct you towards an article, a book, a podcast, something that gives you more info about what we talked about today. Um, and this week, I just want to, there, you know, there, there's not really any um, specific like charitable organizations that deal with the kind of thing that we talked about today. But I just wanted to uh, point everybody to an article by the National Library of Medicine called When Doctors and Patients Don't Agree, colon, the story of Charlie Gard. And it's just more information in case, you know, I only have 30 minutes or so to give you the information on this. And I'm certainly not like a scientist or a journalist. So um, the article is written by Natasha Hammond Browning, and it's an in-depth breakdown of the timeline, the events of the case. And if you want um, just further information about what happened in this case, you can check out the article and that will be in our show notes. And as always in our Instagram highlights, uh, saved under a WWSPD too, actually, because it's our second batch. Thank you so much for that. And next week, we will be doing Chasing Theo. That's season 18, episode eight. Please join us. And we're obsessed with you. Thanks so much. Give us a, a nice review. Send us a message or live your life. Yeah. Bye, guys. See you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstar, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun-dun! Dun, dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.